Well, please take the word of God and turn to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. When the word of God speaks, God speaks. When the word of Christ is proclaimed, it is Christ himself speaking to his church. I'm simply an ambassador for Christ. That is all. Christ alone, the head of the church, speaks to his church. As you, if you've been coming for a while, as you know, our pastor has been going through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and, um, and we've been learning a lot from that. And then just last Wednesday, he preached from Acts chapter 19, and looking again at the church in Ephesus. And, uh, and there was a, a message on my heart a while ago, and it has to do with the church in Ephesus. And so I thought it would be good for us to still consider this church that the Apostle Paul planted there in Ephesus. But before we do that, you and I uh, desperately need, need the Lord's help to understand his word. And so we must pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come now before your word, I do pray that would help, you would help me to please preach your word with clarity and conviction to your people. And as they sit under the preaching of your word, I do ask that they will be attentive to what you have to say. We desperately need to hear from you. In this world, we hear a lot of opinions, but we're very thankful that we, heard, but we hear we have the word of God from which we have the absolute truth from you. So please help us to be attentive to your word so that it might change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've entitled this message for this morning, A Heartbreaking Departure. A Heartbreaking Departure. And that's what we find in the book of Revelation. But before we, before I begin the message, I would like to read just a few verses from chapter 1. Look with me in chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Before we get to chapter 2, where the Apostle John will describe the church of Ephesus, or the Lord of the church himself describing the church in Ephesus, we must have our minds shaped by what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. And we read this from verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. 
And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the papes with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burnt in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be thereafter, hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars, are the seven of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou seest are the seven churches. Before we get to chapter 2, we must behold what John saw. Because when you read chapter 2, what God wants is for you to read that with gravity. What John saw in chapter 1 is the glorious Christ. He sees Christ clothed in a white robe and around his chest golden sashes, which is depicting Jesus Christ as the high priest. In his high priestly garment, which signifies he is still serving his church. And that is a great reminder for you and I today. As the church is not in a good state, we are reminded that Christ is still serving his church today. He's wearing the high priestly robe. And then we read in verse 14 that, that his garment or his face was shining like the sun. His eyes were like flames of fire, depicting the Lord Jesus Christ in his transcendent holiness, in his transcendent majesty. His eyes are like the flames of fire, which him, as it, it depicts someone whose, whose eyes can penetrate the depths of your soul and see what is hidden. Nothing can be hidden from the eyes of Christ. He sees all things, his eyes like flames of fire. Nothing is hidden from him. His feet are made of brass or bronze, which speaks of his judgment. He still disciplines his church even until today. And finally, we read about his voice as the sound of many waters, which speaks of his authority to speak. Only Jesus Christ has authority to speak to his church, not the Pope, not the Archbishop of Canterbury, not the Queen, not a mere man, only Jesus Christ. 
He is Lord over the church, and He speaks to His church. Only the bridegroom has the right to speak to His bride. And then we read in verse sixteen: In His right hand, He holds seven stars, which signifies He's holding seven churches in His right hand. And out of His mouth, a sharp two-edged sword, which speaks of His judgment on those who fight against His church. And his countenance was that like of the sun. What a description of Christ you find in the Book of Revelation, which is completely different from the modern Jesus Christ you hear today, who is more like a boyfriend who just want to hug you. He's more like a teddy bear. But this Christ, this Christ is one as Isaiah saw. You remember Isaiah in chapter six of Isaiah, and I saw the Lord sitting upon His throne, and the train of His robe filling the temple. And John sees Christ in His high priestly robe, the glorious Christ who once died on the cross, resurrected, ascended, and now is in a glorious state. This is the Christ that He sees. No wonder He fell at His feet. No wonder He fell down. No wonder Isaiah said, "Woe is me, for I am undone." Why are you undone, Isaiah? Because I saw the Lord, I saw the King. That's what John saw. Is that what you see when you think about Christ? When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, when you consider Christ for a moment, what is it that you see? Do you see a glorified Savior, the once crucified one, but now an ascended, glorified Christ, who still cares about His church and He speaks to His church today, and that's what we find in the book of Revelation. Look in chapter two, verse one. This glorious Christ speaks to his church, to seven churches, and the first church he speaks to is Ephesus. We read, "Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write." Now, before we continue on, let's pause there. What do we know about the church in Ephesus? Our pastor went through that on Wednesday, Acts chapter nineteen. We know that this church was established by Paul, by the apostle Paul, and Priscilla and Aquila was with him, and this church was established in an in an utterly pagan culture, filled with all sorts of practices, saturated with vile pagan practices. And in fact, one historian said the people there in Ephesus were almost like animals. They followed after their sin and their pleasure, and at the center in Ephesus was the the worship of the sacred goddess called Diana. And they had the temple of Diana there, and people would go there and and conduct in in all sorts of immorality. And yet, a church was planted in the midst of that culture. Praise God for that. Jesus Christ came for sinners, right? 
And for three years, Paul preached there, the whole council of God. You know, this place was, was, was almost like Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, Paul was there declaring and preaching the gospel, such that Saul would be saved. And we know also that Timothy pastored this church. Apollos as well was there. Onesiphorus was there. Tychicus was there. And we know also from history that the apostle John was there. I mean, what a team. That's the A-team. That is the A-team. I was uh, at, at the, at the uh, vest, vestry of uh, Metab, Metropolitan Tabernacle. And the pastor there showed me in the vestry the portrait of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And then John Gill. Can you imagine being in the church in Ephesus and you see Paul and Timothy and you see Apollos and all these men that began this church and preached there? It shows you that this church was doctrinally sound. This church was preaching the truth. This church was not ashamed of the gospel. This church preached the word of God faithfully. That's what we have. That's what we imply from the fact that they had these teachers. And that church had a very strong beginning, despite being immersed in a dark culture, yet the church was absolutely devoted to Christ. That's the key word there. They were devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ had priority in their life. They were devoted to him. And we know also when you read the book of Acts written by Luke, we know that the apostle Paul, Paul, God was using him so mightily that he was performing miracles. Many were coming to Christ and we read that they were renouncing their paganism. They were renouncing idolatry. That's what repentance is. It's when you divorce yourself from sin and devote yourself to Christ. And that's what exactly was happening there in Ephesus. And we read in Acts chapter 19, verse 20, that the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. A revival, you might say, was taking place there in Ephesus. And so when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you can imagine these Ephesians had been immersed in, a, in an idolatrous culture. And so when Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, what does he say to them? Guys, you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Your inheritance is found in Christ. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Forget about Diana. Forget about all these idle and vile practices. You are now in Christ and walk with Christ. Walk in his love. And so the book of Ephesians is really like a discipleship manual to these Ephesians who had come out of an idolatrous culture. So that's the Ephesian church. That is the Ephesian church. But then we find the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, diagnosing this church. Christ himself doing a diagnosis of this church really at the end of the first century. And we read from verse 1 of chapter 2. Please follow with me. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, 
the angel there, that's the messenger. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostle and are not, and have found them liars, and have borne and have patience, and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. Let's stop there for a moment. The high priest king, Jesus Christ, says to this church, I see your labor. I see that you work hard for me. In fact, that word labor, kopon in the Greek, it means laborious toil. You, you work to the point of exhaustion. That's you, church of Ephesus. You labor hard. You're patient. And that is referring to endurance. You are steadfast in your endurance. Whatever come against you, you endure. Whatever suffering, tribulation, trials, you endure for my name's sake. More than that, you are intolerant of evil. You don't sugarcoat sin. You are not tolerant of sin. You do preach about sin and you do preach about judgment. You don't go around saying love is love. You do not tolerate sin. More than that, you are a discerning church, we read there. If someone comes and wants to preach, and wants to preach, you make sure that this man knows sound doctrine. In fact, it's a church that could see a heretic. If that person is a heretic, 10 miles down the road. They make sure that whoever occupies the pulpit knows sound doctrine, holds to the truth. So you have a church that works hard and endures, is intolerant of evil, is discerning, perseveres, does not grow weary. And we read, for my name's sake. And they do it with the right motivation. They do it for the sake of Christ. Now you're probably asking, what is wrong? With all of that, there's nothing wrong with that. This is what we must do. We must work hard for the Lord. We must endure. We must be steadfast. We must persevere for the name of Christ. And we also read that they hate what God hates in verse 6. That is a church that I'll join. Wouldn't you? I'll join that church any day. It had the outward mark of faithfulness. But, as we read, the one whose eyes is like the flame of fire, who is able to see what you do not see, he saw a fatal flaw in that church. He saw a deadly disease in that church. After, after the Lord of the church has done a diagnosis of this church and has commended this church for those wonderful things, and yet there was something very deadly 
in that church. There was, you might say, a tumor in that church, which the members in the church has not even seen. But the one whose eyes is like the flame of fire saw. We read in verse 4, the very sad verse. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That is really hard to believe. You have left your first love? You know, this is not a church that has a rainbow flag at the front of its doors. This is a church where the people are walking in holiness. They're gathering on Sunday like this. And they're reaching out to the lost. They're going out fishing for the lost. They are discipling others. They do not compromise on essential truths that is contained in the word of God. They hold firm to the gospel. And yet, and yet, and yet, there was a fatal flaw in that church. And what was it? They left their first love. They left their first love. The passion, the love they had for Christ at the beginning was no longer there. And yet they were still doing the work of the Lord. Do you know what had happened? They had abandoned Christ and they did not even know it. That's what it means to leave your first love. The love that you had at the beginning for Christ is no longer there. You have abandoned him. You have forsaken him. And you know, that was Paul's concern for the Corinthians. You read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul would say to them, I betrothed you to one husband. But I fear that the devil has tempted you and you no longer has a pure devotion to Christ. And that was the case in Ephesus. There was no longer a pure devotion to Christ. Nevertheless, they were still doing the work of the Lord. And Christ, the Lord of the church, sees that as a fatal flaw, as a deadly disease. When your love for Christ becomes a secondary matter in your heart, Christ considers that as you having abandoned him. Ponder on that for a moment, for a moment. When Christ is not number one in your heart, Christ considers that as you having abandoned him, as you having forsaken him. That is a serious matter. No matter what you do for Christ, if Christ is not first, he considers you as having abandoned him. We read in Mark chapter 10, verse 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not what? Worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Let me give you an illustration. 
Think of a marriage relationship. Husband and wife, the relationship, the marriage is not going well. The wife says, he does not love me anymore. And so they both need counseling. And so they go to the pastor for counseling. And the pastor says, what is wrong? And so the wife says, he's there, but he's not really there. He does not love me anymore. And then the husband responds, wait, what, what are you saying? I go to work. I provide for the home. I bring money into this home. I care for the children. I protect. I even do chores. And the pastor responds, Good, sir. But here is a problem. You are devoted to your duties as a husband but you're not devoted to your wife. You're devoted to your duties as a husband, and rightly so. You must perform your duties as a husband. But are you devoted to your wife? The last time I checked, you made a covenant with her, not with your job. You made a covenant with your wife. You are united with your wife, not with your service. You, you are united with Christ, not with your service to Christ, which means Christ is the one that gets your devotion. He is the one that needs, that must have your heart. And it's very easy to get into that. Very easy to get into that. You're devoted to your duties. Your identity now is found in what you do for Christ as opposed to in Christ and Christ alone. You are united. You are in union with Christ, not united with your service to Christ. You can do much for Christ and yet not have him first in your heart. You can serve Christ in various ways, whilst having abandoned him in your heart. You can be exegetically correct. You can be hermeneutically precise. You can be sound in your theology and yet be so far away from Christ. Matthew 7 verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, Master, Master. They call Jesus Master. Have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name do wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Do you know what that means? Do you know what Christ is saying here? He's not saying, I never had any intellectual knowledge of you. That's impossible since Christ is omniscient. What Christ is saying here, you never had a relationship with me and the works you did never came out of devotion to me. In Genesis, we read, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. That does not mean Adam had intellectual knowledge of his wife and therefore she conceived. In the same way here, the word knew, Christ says, I never knew you. In other words, I never had a relationship with you. And so the wonderful works that you did, the prophesying, the healing, he says, that is iniquitous. 
to not have Christ as first love in your heart is a serious matter. It is a serious matter. And all you have to do is look in the Old Testament. Remember, Israel depicted as a bride and, and God as the husband. And God loved them, heard their cries and provided for them and protected them and fought for them. And yet they played the harlot. And you know what's interesting? Even though God raised up prophets to deal with that, they did not listen to the prophets. They did not listen to the messenger. And you know why they were not listening to the messenger? Because they, were, they thought they were right. And why did they think they were right? Because they were still going to the temple. They were still offering sacrifices. And you put it in, 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 our, in modern terms, they were still going to church. They were still going to church. They were still conducting their service, and yet their hearts were far away from God. How many times do we read, your, your lips worship me, but your heart is far away from me. And it comes to a point where God says, I don't want your sacrifice anymore. In fact, in Malachi, we read where God says, is there someone that would shut the door of the temple? Close the door. I don't want your worship anymore because your worship is not coming out of, out of a heart that is devoted to me. I am no longer number one in your heart. You have made alliances with other nations. And they still did not turn. And so God had to raise up a prophet named Hosea, the prophet of unconditional love. And God says to Hosea, Hosea, go and marry Gomer, this woman who's going to prove herself to be an adulterer. Because I'm going to depict through that relationship the manner in which Israel is conducting herself towards me. And we read the story of Hosea. And what do we see? We see this woman, Goma, who goes after other lovers. And I have to say to you, when you and I look at 21st century churches, we have to conclude that we are a generation of Gomers. We have turned away from Christ and we're still going to church. We're still conducting our services. We're still going out there evangelizing, and yet our heart is so far away from Christ. How many churches have compromised? You accept same-sex marriage in your congregation and you think God is in the midst? You think Christ is in the midst? No, he's not. Anything that is contrary to the scripture is accepted today in churches. And when you read the Old Testament, God says that is abominable. You might as well close the door of the church. You might as well put a mask on and stop singing because I don't want to hear your worship anymore. You're offering me sacrifice which are defiled. 
That is the state of the church today. And when you consider church history, especially in this nation, when this nation was in a dark place, when the sheep here had no shepherd, God raised up a John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe labored. And he translated the Bible into the English language so that the sheep may have food, spiritual food. He stood up against the Roman Catholic Church. And after he passed away, before he passed away, he sends out preachers, lollards, these evangelical men who went around in this land preaching the gospel. And after he died, God still cared about this church. He raised up a William Tyndale who gave his life completely, never married, never had a family. He goes away and translates the Bible into the English language from the original Greek and Hebrew so that you and I might hold this book in our hands today. 80% of this book is Tyndale translation. And he said, I want a plow boy to know more of the scripture than the Pope. You know what? After he passed away, after he was burned at the stake for the crime of translating the Bible. You know, God still loved this, his church. Christ still loved his church. And so he raised up the reformers. He raised up a king, Edward VI. And under him, John Knox, Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley. They're going around this country, preaching the gospel faithfully, feeding the flock of God. And they were burned at the stake as well. But Christ still loved his church. And so he raised up the Puritans who were committed to the word of God. And they wanted the church to be purified. They wanted to present a bride, a holy bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were eventually ejected from pulpits. But you know, Christ still loved his church. And so he raised up George Whitfield, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. He raised up John Newton, all the hymn writers. And they did so much work in this land. Revival broke out. And this country went back to a dark place. But Christ still loved his church. And he raised up a Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he raised up a John, C John Charles Rao, J.C. Rao. And they preached the word of God faithfully. And even until today, we read their sermons. And after these men died, God raised up a Martin Lowe Jones who faithfully exposited the word of God in this nation. Westminster Chapel, it was like a national church. If you wanted to hear good preaching, that's where you would go. And now in the 21st century, look where the church is. Have we abandoned Christ? And that's the question I have for you today. Have you abandoned Christ? It is the right question to ask. I cannot move on until I ask you, have you abandoned Christ? Is Christ your first love? Forget about what you do for Christ for a moment. Consider your devotion to him. Are you devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to him? Christ who was humiliated who condescended himself to the lowest level, became a man. Truly God became a man. The creator of man took on human flesh and he grew up and he grew up in wisdom as well. The king of kings and lord of lords, the sovereign one, lived a life of perfect obedience to his father. And in so doing, 
He was a man of sorrows because he loved you. He was smitten. He allowed himself to be smitten because he loved you. He allowed himself to be scourged because he loved you. He allowed himself to be pierced because he loved you. He allowed his soul to be troubled. He was troubled in his mind because he loved you. He allowed a crown of thorns to be on his head because he loved you. He allowed the nails to go through his hands because he loved you. He allowed your sins and my sins to be placed upon his sinless body because he loved you. And he allowed the wrath of his father, which was due to you, to be poured upon him because he loved you. But he loved you more than that. He resurrected on the third day for your justification. He ascended into heaven for your sake, so that now he can prepare a place for you because he loved you. And now he intercedes on your behalf because he loved you. So much has Christ done for you, and yet, have you abandoned him? Is he first in your heart or is he second? If Christ is second in your heart, then you have abandoned him. Christ cannot take second place in the heart of the believers. He is our first love. And you know what comes in the way? Do you know what makes Christ number two in your life? When an idol comes in. It was one reformer who said, the heart is an idol-making factory. That's what the heart is, an idol-making factory. And sometimes even the good things turns into idols. I see so many young people. They have a good desire, a wonderful desire to get married. But you know, that desire takes primacy in their heart. It becomes the ultimate thing. And all of a sudden, a good desire has turned into an idol. And that has to be repented of. Or the desire for children. Children is a gift from the Lord. But when that turns, when that becomes first, has supremacy in your life over Christ, that good desire has just turned into an idol. Perhaps some of you, is career, your job, or even ministry can be an idol. That's why, my friend, I said at the beginning, this is a heartbreaking departure. In light of all that Christ has done for you, in light of all that Christ has done for me, he's number two. We depart from him. And that's what happened to the church in Ephesus. In light of all that they were doing for Christ, Sound doctrine, zealous for the things of God, and yet there was a fatal flaw. They had left their first love. And that was a disease in that church. But you know, I praise God that he revealed that disease. I praise God that the great physician of the soul, whose eyes is like a flame of fire, spotted that tumor in the church. But you know, more than that, 
He gives the church the remedy. So what do you do then? If you're one of those here today where Christ is not first in your heart, if your love for him has waned and is cold, and by the way, Christ sees that as you having fallen, that's what we read in verse 6. If you've left your first love, you have fallen. Well, God gives us the remedy for it. And we read in verse 5. What are the remedy? The first one is, we read, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember. The first R. Remember. If you have fallen... If you have fallen this morning, if your love for Christ is not what it used to be, then remember from whence you have fallen. What does he mean by that? Remember when you were conscious of what Christ had done for you. Remember when Christ took you out, plucked you out from the depths of your sin. I'm sure there was incredible joy when you realized that. He plugged you out from the depths of your sin. He placed you into the kingdom of his dear beloved son, took you out of the kingdom of darkness. Remember that. Remember when you were birthed into the kingdom of God, how much joy was there and how much love was there for Christ. Remember when he cleansed you of all filthiness when you were forgiven of all your sins, past, present, future, remember, was there joy? Remember when he made you clean, when you were a new creation in Christ Jesus. Remember when you had assurance of salvation. Remember when you had, when the love of Christ was shed abroad in your heart and you just loved him so much. Remember that? When you first got saved, how you went running around and people thought you were a fool and you were a fool for Christ. You wanted to share the gospel to everybody. Why? Because you loved Christ so much. You were devoted to him. I remember when I first got saved, you know, Christ's scripture was in my head. And I remember being in school and I was in my business lesson and the teacher was talking about substitute products. And my mind went to thinking about substitutionary atonement because my mind was so immersed because I wanted to know more about this Christ, which, by the way, is a real person. Jesus Christ is not just a propositional truth that you hold on to. He's a real person that you are united with, that you can commune with, that you can talk to. That's who he is. Do you remember that? And so, and so the Lord of the church himself says, remember our relationship at the beginning. And that's what couples do sometimes when their love grows cold. What do they do? They go on a honeymoon again to rekindle that love. And so Christ wants your love for him to be rekindled. And he says, remember how it was at the beginning. Remember that. But don't just remember. Repent. That's what we read. 
Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. We need to recover that word "repent" today. Repent meaning divorce yourself from that sin, divorce yourself from that idol, and devote yourself to Christ. 180 degrees. You divorce yourself from the sin, from the idolatry. Divorce yourself from that which has taken primacy in your life other than Christ and devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what true repentance is. It's not, okay, Lord, I feel sorry now. No, there is godly sorrows. There must be a sorry. And, and But most importantly, there must be an actively turning away from that idol and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't just remember how it was at the beginning. Repent of the idol in your heart. Repent of that which has taken primacy in your heart. And devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy. Let me say this to you. Christ is worthy of pure devotion from you. He is worthy. He does not need it. He's all sufficient, but he is worthy. In light of all that he has done for you, Christ is worthy of you, of your heart, of your pure devotion. So divorce yourself from sin and devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is one more thing that we read. I know the R. So remember, repent, and then repeat. We read, or else I... Or repent and do the first works. Remember, therefore, from which thou art fallen, and repent and do the first work. Repeat what you used to do at the beginning when the relationship was strong. And what do you used to do? You used to fellowship all the time. If you were me, I would be listening to sermons all the time. I wanted to know more about Christ. Perhaps some of you, you probably need to read a book on the attributes of God and just immerse yourself in the character and the attributes of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fellowship and come to church and be amongst God's people. When, when there is baptism, go and, and be reminded again that you were once dead in sin and now alive in Christ. Communion, when we have communion, come and partake of communion and be reminded of what Christ has done for you. In other words, believer, do the things which gave you a spiritual sight of Christ. Repent or remember, repent and repeat. Repeat those things you used to do that gave you so much joy in your communion. With Christ. But you know, there is one more thing in there, and that is a fret. There is a fret in there. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I'll remove that candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Ouch. You know, this is out of love, by the way. This is out of love for you. And so Christ says, if you do not divorce yourself from your idol that has taken primacy in your heart, if you do not divorce yourself from that which has taken priority over Christ in your life, 
it won't end well. Christ will never forsake you, because you are His. Once you're His, you're His. But there are consequences, and it says, "I will remove that candlestick witness for me." And you know, this church, Ephesus, it no longer exists today. It's no longer there. You know what that tells me? They did not repent. They did not remember, repent, repeat. And what about you? What about you? This is a serious matter. Do you know why? He is Lord over His church, and He loves His church. He cares about the sanctification of His church. Christ desires a pure, a pure bride, and He will wash you. Even if he has to chastise you to heaven, he will do it, because you are his. You know, this is serious because I, in my own life, I remember once a sister in the church said to me, "John, I need to speak to you." I said, "Okay, what's wrong?" She said, "God has abandoned me." I said, "What do you mean, God has abandoned you?" And so I asked her a few questions, and she began to examine her heart, and she realized. That there was an idol in her heart that she was holding on to, and she tried to justify it. And I said, "You must turn away from it. You must turn away from it." And she said, "She will." So we prayed, and then I said, "I'll check up. I'll check up on you and see how you're doing." And so I did, and you know, she had not turned away. And so I said. You must turn away from that idol that has taken primacy in your heart, or else you'll be disciplined by the Lord of the Church because He loves you so much. And she did not listen. Lockdown came. All the means of grace was not accessible. And until today, I pray. I'm praying for her restoration. It's been several years. You know what happened? God gave her over to her idol. And let me let me say this to you: God, Christ could give you over to to your idol, and it won't end well. So let me say this to you: You must repent. You must remember how the relationship was at the beginning. Repent. Repeat the works you were doing at first, or else. You will no longer be a witness for Christ. So I beseech you, believer. You must have your love rekindled again for Christ. You must have your love rekindled again for Christ. No matter what you have done for Him, no matter what you are doing for Him, the question is: Is there pure devotion to Him alone? If you're not a Christian here today, Christ has never been your first love, and you are in danger. Because if you leave this room and you die, you'll be in hell forever. But the good news that is this: that you're in this place, and we're here to tell you that Christ came into the world over two thousand years ago, and He laid down His life for you because He loved you. God the Father placed your sins upon the shoulder of His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
And he was willing, out of love for you, to condescend to your level, live a perfect and righteous life. He was willing to do that. Even though you were far away from him, even though you were constantly, continuously rejecting him, yet he was loving you on his way to the cross. And on that cross, he suffered the punishment that you deserve. And today, he wants you to know that you can be reconciled back to God. The God, the God that you have rebelled against, that relationship can be dealt with today. If you simply come to Christ, come to Christ. It's not about what you've done for him. It's about what he has done for you. And that is the gospel. So people of Oxford, you and I must rekindle our love for Christ. We must do that. So let's get back to the first things. Let's rekindle our love for Christ. And let's encourage one another in our love for Christ. Amen? Let us pray. O oh, great God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sits upon the throne, who is high and lifted up, who is clothed in a kingly vestment and clothed in a high priestly vestment, signifying, O oh, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are still, you still care about your church. You are the bridegroom who still cares about your bride. And Lord, we come before you this morning and we do want to say that we repent of our lack of love for you. We do ask you to forgive us of the idols that we have placed in our hearts, the idols that we have justified even, which has taken primacy over you. Please forgive us. Help us to remember how that relationship was at the beginning, how that love for you was burning. Oh Lord, may you rekindle our heart for you. Lord, we pray for this nation. Oh Lord, we have abandoned you, but I pray that you have mercy upon us, that you would pour your spirit upon all of us, that our love for you will be regained. Please bring a mighty revival in this land. Let there be an awakening of love for Christ in this land. Let there be the preaching of Christ and Him crucified again throughout this land. We pray for this church. Oh, Father, in light of all that we do for you, may we never forget that Christ must be supreme, that devotion to Him must be at the top. We're so thankful, Father, for what you do in this church for what you do through the ministry here and through our pastor. And yet, Lord, we pray that Christ, that pure devotion to Christ, will be at the top, at the center. And now, Father, as we, as we leave, I do pray that you will please help your people to have a spiritual sight of our Lord Jesus Christ, to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, as they leave this place today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.